Hello, Kevin. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Damn right. Oh, Kevin, you're so witty. I would stab someone in the face. Oh, that's gross. I'm cutting this, by the way. Bad Philosophy, episode 137, recorded on April 27th, 2013. Keep your pants on, monkey brain. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. One, two, bad philosophy. We are back once again. It's episode 137, and I am your host, Stephen Torrance. Uh, let's see. We've got some, some pretty big panel today, actually. And, you know, relatively, right? We normally have two or three people on. Today we have four, and that is because we have John Elliott back on the show. Welcome back, John. Thank you very hey. much for having me. How you been? How you been? Really good. Really good. Busy, but good. Busy, but good. Yes. Um, hating on the middle schoolers, I hear. Hating them. No. Or, or maybe they're yes. hating on you. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they hated me first. It's a, it's a bi-directional relationship. It is. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I've been uh, teaching middle school and doing communications work for a, a non-profit uh, kind of youth orchestra program. Cool. And, uh, you know, trying to do as much good work as I can. Kevin is also here. Hi. Hi, Kevin. And finally, back on the show for I think just the second time, uh, yep. Matt Epperson. Hello. Hey, where were you? Where are you located again, Matt? Uh, Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. How is Springfield this time of year? <laughs> oh, our weather has changed. We used to have short. Uh, well, we used to have a, a medium winter with you know snow about a month, and then we'd have like one one week of 110 degree weather during the summer now we get more like no snow and two two months of 110 degree weather it's pretty miserable hmm. sounds like it yeah damn that global climate change <laughs> that, right that yes those yeah. chemicals <laughs> in the bless you or actually i'm sorry you sneezed yeah, <laughs> I, d- I did the sign as well good for nice. those of y'all listening which is all of you anyways <laughs> Um, welcome. I wasn't listening. Of course not. Well, you're never you're never listening to me, really. No, no. <laughs> just, I've tuned you out years ago. You just sort of wait for me I to just, stop you talking. Stop talking, and then I start. And, and then you make an that's argument. That's how we have a podcast. And that's that's bad philosophy, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Conversation taking to a whole new level. <laughs> Stephen talks for a while. Kevin says you're wrong, and we go back and forth. This is a silly phone. Sad infinitum. Well, yes, it is a silly photo. Kevin's pointing to uh, one that was on my Facebook feed recently. That's, um, it's just photos among photos among photos of me in our new office. But anyways, we're not going to talk about that because it's in the visual realm and we're in the audio realm right now. Mm-hmm. However, we are going to spend the whole t- show basically talking about things in the visual realm. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically data visualization. Uh, to, to give you a little bit of backstory, I, I found... The, through the phenomenal Royal Society of the Arts animate talks, a talk by a guy named Manuel Lima, who's a senior UX architect at Microsoft Bing. He is a researcher in a, a field known as complex network uh, visualization. As a hobby, he has had a website called visualcomplexity.org for several years now that is collecting a new way of visualizing the world around us. So I wanted to to introduce a little bit from a philosophical perspective how information structures have evolved a little bit, at least according to Manuel Lima. A lot of this is coming from his book, which I have. It's called Visual Complexity, Mapping Patterns of Information, and it is a riveting read if you like data. And maybe if you don't like data even, you may read this book and discover that you do. So... You know, Matt, you have watched the video recently. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, John and, and Kevin, if you've watched it I don't recently. Think so. It's called the, the Power of Networks. We'll link to it mm. in the show notes, of course. Mm-hmm. I want to hear from you, Matt, actually. What is the, the gist of Manuel Lima's uh, position, or his talk, at least? Well, okay. I simply thought that he was bringing the point of rather than a kind of linear structure for data. Um, he's talking more, what's the word he used? Rhizomatic? Rhizomatic, yeah. Rhizomatic. Um, yeah, he talks about rhizomatic. Which, uh, um, yeah. Gosh, how would I describe yeah. that? That's kind of like, <laughs> I guess the best thing I can think of it is more like a map where you can drive through it in almost any direction rather than 
like a one-way road that mm. you can only go one direction. That's or what like I got a, out of it, at least. I think specifically a tree, right? Like he, yes. he, he sort of introduces this idea that, that human, human knowledge, the tendency at least to organize our world, we, we look for analogies. We, we seem to always do that. Mm-hmm. Human beings mm-hmm. are pretty consistent in that regard. So, mm-hmm. you know, you look around us and one of the most common structures that we have on this wide world is the tree. It, it's a, you know, you see it growing from a single branch, a uh, single trunk, and then branching off, and branches split, and there are you know points where multiple branches will kind of come off of a single one, and you have this you know get, going from sort of a, a central organizing solid thing to smaller, farther away, or lower down, or farther up things. That general structure was applied to many uh, branches of, of human knowledge from. Uh, <laughs> No pun intended. Seriously, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, and, and wow, so going meta for a second there, branches of knowledge, that very saying itself no. grew out of this, damn it, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. is related to, associated with, see how deep it goes within our, within our language, yeah. within our psyche, this idea of things branching off of other things, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. hierarchical structure, it just got into our collective unconscious for how we organize the world in, in sort of this folk psychological way. So uh, let's see. The first graph that, that Manuel Lima has in here is from the Greek philosopher Porphyry uh, in the third century, and it shows the, the breakdown of kind of the, the structure of everything. So you've got substances, material and immaterial. Of material substances, you have the body, animate and inanimate bodies, inanimate being minerals, immaterial substances being like the spirit, then of animate bodies you have living, sensitive and insensitive like plants and animals, Mm. and eventually you get the rational animal which is the human, and then you have Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle kind of, so you you have the central thing which is all like substance, everything that is, and then off of that you sort of divide, 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 subdivide, subdivide, subdivide. That idea comes back up again and again and again even into the Enlightenment, when the first Enlightenment uh, philosophers and what would later become known as scientists, but at the time they were called natural philosophers because they dealt with the love of knowledge and nature, they started organizing every, all the realms of human knowledge, kind of collecting them into encyclopedia, or you know, the, the kind of circling of everything or the collection of everything, mm-hmm. became the encyclopedias, and the first constructions of these types of knowledge were shown as trees. In a, in a very real sense, there's an illustration that he has in here from the, uh, the encyclopedia done by um, Diderot and Delembault. Oh, wow. That is oh, a... Oh, wow. You're not even joking. It's a nine-page yeah. fold-out... <laughs> fold-out... Kevin, Kevin is dealing with the consequences of trees himself yes. in a very different way right now. Exploring the topic in an entirely different, <laughs> entirely yeah. different manner. Um, yeah. My nose is full of snot. <laughs> That's the way in which I'm dealing with it. So, so this idea of, of organizing all information into this, this tree where everything branched off and none of it really interconnected, right? You, you never had an instance where biology had anything to say about metaphysics, right? They, they are on completely different branches. You know, the scientists can never talk to each other for their entire lives and you can hyper-specialize into your, your own little leaf of this, this world tree, right? And that, that structure continued for a long period of time until you got to... Uh, Euler in the uh, in the 1700s, he had a novel approach to this this question of whether you could cross whether you could visit all of the different regions of Amsterdam without crossing any of the bridges twice. And he kind of he constructed it in a different way. He said, "Look, let's take each region and make it what's called a node." It's kind of like, like the uh, traveling salesman problem. Yeah, it is it's related to that. And those nodes are connected by what are called edges. And they literally were the edges of these regions. Mm. A bridge would uh, let you cross that edge. Mm -hmm. And he was able to uh, uh, construct this mathematically to where you could show definitively that there was no way that you could traverse all the regions without crossing one of them twice. 
and that that kind of got toward this idea of of a complexity of a way of structuring the world that wasn't hierarchical that wasn't you know god and on top and then the angels and then the rich people and then the middle classes and then you know the, the animals and then plants and you know dirt and, and inanimate matter right this this sort of um, power structure to the world too and that's this idea of, of going from simple problems of like one billiard ball hitting another the force interactions between them to problems of disorganized complexity you know the world is really really complicated oh my god it's chaotic we'll never understand it to wait a minute maybe there is a pattern here and that's around the mid 20th century that we cut to that point more and more we've started to see you know social networks the network of the internet itself the network of Wikipedia and linking things together. This is something that goes beyond the linearity of text or the linearity of time. You were, we were talking about um, the ways that you've graphed, mm -hmm. uh, John, have been like clicks uh, over time. Clicks you know, over just time. Just simple revenue, relations yeah, right. between two variables. We're starting to see a lot more interconnections and interrelationships in the world, that the structures go way beyond this tree that we started with. That's really what this book is about, and um, it's really eye-opening. I, I wanted to kind of ask you all, like, what have you, what, when was that, like, um, moment in your life where you sort of went from that, that tree structure to more of an interconnectedness structure? Do you ever, hmm. like, do you think we, like, growing up with the internet just have that in our minds, or do we still have some of that bias toward? <laughs> you know, I, I'll chime in. Like, I, yeah. think, I think right around... Right around, boy, I grew up in New Hampshire, and I didn't have, what, you know, real... Yay, New Hampshire! Yay, Yay New Hampshire, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have, like, real speed internet until I went to college, right? I had dial-up until I went this to college. This was not Google Fiber, right? This was not Google Fiber. Which, by the way, hooray! I know. Austin oh getting gosh, Google Fiber. That makes my day. Another reason to be here for a long time. That's so. going to be yeah. great. More See, and more people are coming to Austin now. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when when I when I went to college and I had full on all the time internet access, mm -hmm. and I started, I want to say that the Janet Jackson nipple slip. You guys oh, remember man. that at the Super Bowl? Sure. That was like oh three. The speed. O2? Yeah, that was maybe maybe I was in high school for this. Yeah. Maybe, I think I was in high school for that. So. When that happened, and I like, I think I was with my friends, and we went on the internet, and it was there. Like <laughs> by the time you could dial up to get, the, by the time you could just run as fast as you could to the internet, someone had already been like, "Blam, picture is posted." It's like blah blah blah, and yeah. you sort of just get the sense of like, how did that happen? How could that possibly happen? That means that somebody had to be sitting there just doing this, and there had to be like a sufficient number of connections, a sufficient number of people posting this stuff. Yeah. A number of that, that like, the, the, the sort of like breadth of the complexity of all of us working on the internet, <laughs> yeah. on Skynet, all of us creating Skynet together, uh, like really, really kind of blew my head off. And when I started to Hold get Hold that into thought, the, by the way. Yes. I, I want to bring that up a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and yeah. when I went into... Uh, uh, studying music, and I started to to all of the variables that go into to playing the instruments, mostly brass instruments and stuff. Mm -hmm. Although I just kind of goes for all of them. Um, when you're sort of like, you know, you kind of get to a point where you on a brass instrument, for example, you're you're controlling a, a vibrating column of air. Okay. You get very good at it. <laughs> but the thing is, like, that's not like the same as controlling your hand, which is like a very very visceral. Like direct connection experience. That's your yes. hand. You touch it. The feedback is as instantaneous as you could possibly have it be, mm -hmm. and it's it's there. That's it. There's nothing to it. And and doing this, uh, you know, controlling this vibrating column of air, where you know you go sit in like a concert hall, for example, you 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 are changing the shape of your lips and taking a different kind of breath and and doing these things that vibrates the instrument differently, mm -hmm. which makes a slightly different sound which has a dramatically huge effect on how it sounds 200 yards away from you at the back of the hall. Wow. Right? And, and so these, like, sort of, you're controlling this, like, really, really, really divorced, like, uh, uh, thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the great artists are the people that can make the back of the room sound fantastic, you know? Huh. There's, like, somebody that comes in and plays, like, buttons. But, you know, like a, like a middle schooler, or, you know, like a young musician will be like, make, make. Me, yeah, me, 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 
meh. You know, like a, a somebody that comes in and, and is a professional musician, they like they know that all the interesting stuff is in between those notes mm -hmm. and those those like unbelievably subtle and kind of uh, uncontrollable sounds. I guess are the the you kind of have to corral the sounds yeah. more than you control them. You know, and there's like this level of complexity. That really started to blow my mind. Well, I, it, it, we, we encounter yeah. these systems everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the nature is another one of those things. The delicate, mm -hmm. we talk about the delicate balance of ecosystems. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in this, this book, um, in Manuel Lima's book here, he, he talks about like the interconnection between cod and like all the different, mm -hmm. um, all the different factors that influence this one species of cod, mm -hmm. all these mm -hmm. plants, all of these environmental conditions, all these things, and the interrelationships between them. And they, they're able to represent them in such a way that it starts to make sense. You start to see that the cluster of environmental factors is much more tightly interconnected so mm -hmm. that with, with the cod. So that may influence it a lot more than for instance, whether someone spat in the river upstream mm. or something, or whether you know there's this uh, there's this new species of plant that was introduced, and you can you can sort of start to prioritize and intuitively through through visual representation start to understand the data a little bit more and understand this complexity. But it's it's not very common. I mean, I, I think we we see network graphs and complex network graphs infrequently because they're they're so different from what we're used to in terms mm. of you know bar graphs and line graphs and such yeah but at least for me it's 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 opened my eyes to a different way of, con of conceiving the world um mm. and and you know i, I know kevin is going to bring this up that these are all these are all constructions you know i think it, well i think it's important <laughs> to, to mention i mentioned it over <laughs> i mentioned it over breakfast that you yeah know, it's one of those things that these these are patterns that we are creating, they are not necessarily patterns that exist. Right. And, I, and, and that doesn't make them useless, but it's important to remember. Right. Um, and that the fact that we change these patterns, you know, changes the way we look at the world and changes the way the world is looked at. In, in the same way that you're talking about, you know, we switched from this tree to this net sort of constructions, mm -hmm. that, that's an important thing that changed, and it's important to acknowledge that and how it changed is just as important as the fact that it changed. It's not necessarily more true. Right. There's a great book that, that was in recommended. In some absolute to, sense, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in, a, in sort of the final, you know, it's a true fact yes. type of a rubber stamp it <laughs> yeah. you know, type, of a, type yeah. of a thing. Um, and, and I think it's important to acknowledge that, um, that you can lie very easily with these graphs as much as you can with any other type of graph. Yes. And, you know, the right. whole idea of authenticity we've we've had other shows on before but mm. you know it, you can lie with maps you can lie with graphs you can lie with drawings and you can distort mm. and amplify and, and all these sorts of things that that can change perceptions very easily i mean how how you construct the tree is as important uh, you know as how you construct the, these types of graphs it's, yeah it's becoming a little bit harder to, to fake that but not impossible especially when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of nodes you, mm -hmm. you have to do a lot of work to really tweak that in a way that's, that's consistent and meaningful, uh, you know, that, that is internally. Could consistent. I rabbit trail back for a second? Yeah, please, please do, Matt. Please weigh in. <laughs> I was, it, it's, it, as we were saying that again, it, it reoccurred to me. Uh, one of the things I've gotten the most of out of, well, listening to Bad Philosophy and listening to Kevin talk about uh, post-structuralism is uh, I don't think, I think in terms of, like an absolute truth anymore. Like I'm looking for an absolute yeah. truth. I hmm. just think in terms of, of a truth I'm constructing. And cool. that's been kind of <laughs> wow. revolutionary. Progress. Is it progress or is it? No, it's change. It's different. Well, I will say this, that I've, I've accepted what I will call my commitment, which is also, huh. of course, my bias. Uh -huh. um, and I do think I'm making progress along my bias or my commitments but in a more absolute sense i can't say anything about um, <laughs> about progress does that make sense i kind of get what you're saying yeah yeah what, what is kevin playing I'm right playing now plants versus zombies he's playing plants versus <laughs> zombies classic yes plants versus zombies 2 is coming out this summer so what, what is the monkey net john the monkey oh, sphere. The monkey, monkey sphere. sphere. Yeah. So there's this very, very, very. Uh, there, for a while, I got into this kick about about uh, the brain and mm. um, the the 
Yeah, the evolution of the brain, I guess you could say, is more, more specifically. Okay. And because you can sort of look at it where, I mean, here's, the, here's the problem. I, I sort of did this like, you know, weekend warrior level homework of like the evolution of the brain. <laughs> the hardest thing to remember about it is, is what they're all called, right? So I'm going to use horrible terminology for all the parts of the brain. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're like lizard brain, mm -hmm. right? Which is like brain stem uh -huh. all the way at the back is like the most basic. Yeah. All, all of the, the sort of, uh, you know, biological components, they fire very quickly. They're very simple mm -hmm. and they're not necessarily like super duper interconnected right and then and and we sort of see a very similar structure in like lizards yeah in, um, and a very kind of lower what you could maybe loosely term as lower order functioning mm. animals like that a again squirrel. biased by our our language and, sure yeah, yeah. we'll be talking in <laughs> terms order, of maybe. like yeah. a uh, a quick brain or like yeah. like making quick associations or are you just talking about uh, muscle reflexes uh, it's, it, I suppose you could, I suppose all of this would be about decision making, I guess yeah. you could say. So for example, like a fly, um, a fly's, a fly's compound eye, that massive compound eyes that they have there is, is directly tied into its movement centers. Oh, wow. Okay. So they, that's why they can react so that's quickly right. if you so move there, your hand. There and, is li yeah. It's literally the same as like, if you, um, you know, it would be like, imagine your left hand squeezing every time you pushed a button. And you had no control over it. Well, you didn't. Mm -hmm. You didn't choose to do that. It just did that. So a fly, when it sees movement or a change in light, it moves. Yeah. It flaps its wings. Well, sort of like pain reflexes for us are yeah. much more tightly yeah. connected to yeah. uh, to movement yeah. than like vision. If we if we see something coming that might hurt us, yeah. it takes us longer to react to that than if we touch something very hot. That's right. You know, we're, yes. gonna, we're gonna recoil from that That's right. and without the, and, thinking. And, yeah. the th and the, that sort of without thinking part of our brain that jumps out of the way of the you know, car that almost got us when we were pedestrian yeah. or when we left our hand on the stove when we forgot it was on or like that thing, that's all the way at the back. That's mm -hmm. the simple like, okay. and if you sort of think in evolutionary terms. The that's limbic the brain, is that what that's called? Ooh, see, this is the problem, I forgot Yeah, about. I think that's I the limbic brain. Terms right <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so all the way in the back, that's the stuff that keeps you alive. Sure. You know, tree branch is falling on you, get out of the way. <laughs> get out of the you way, know, like, <laughs> right now. There's a lion eating your throat. Do something about <laughs> Do it. Do something right? about okay. it. So there's that, and then- and Just then a suggestion, you know. Yeah. No. And then we from- Highly recommend you do something. <laughs> from there up, there's about two or three stages of brain development, right? And the sort of the second or third of those in is the sort of uh, bifurcated, you know, left and right, Yeah. those big gray matter lobes on top, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's the, and, and you, we see those a lot in like chimps and, you know, sort of, sort of simian mammal, mm -hmm. things like that. Even dolphins, you know, other, all kinds of mammals that, that have, and that's sort of like, um, I'm hungry right now, but if I walk a little bit farther, there's more bananas and uh, if I stay here for the night and there's only two, okay. if I walk a little bit farther, there's eight bananas. That, so, that ability for patience, yes. maybe. Yeah. So that's, and maybe, maybe you hmm. could, the seeds of like willpower are mm. sort of there. Uh, where so that, maybe the like, like planning, right? Yeah. 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 The very, very first thing of like, of, of planning and, and, um, uh, and well, I, and I guess understanding associations, that's kind of mm -hmm. where that's happening. Okay. Right? Um, what are we labeling this? Oh, gosh. Okay. Here we go. Let's call that the monkey sphere for now. Let's call <laughs> that the monkey that's the monkey sphere. That's, that's now. the monkey sphere. Right? For okay. now, that's the monkey sphere. The thing that, the, really, the only thing that makes us human and sophisticated and, like, pants-wearing is, <laughs> is the, the, the very front. I mean, the brain has, like, literally evolved from front to back. Like, it's just exploding mm. out the front of our heads. So right. Very slow <laughs> evolutionary pace. Very so slowly jumping out the front of our brain. The two lobes at the very front of the brain are, like, all of the executive function so hmm. like i you know i should i'm gonna stay at this job uh for six more months because um you know you know what i mean because i yeah. think that it would be a better course of action uh given the current state of the economy like all of right the, all of the <laughs> i should wear pants before i go to work all that stuff <laughs> shame that's you should wear you know, pants if that's all that's keeping yes. me wearing pants <laughs> uh, line. <laughs> Thin line of pants between me and the no pants so yeah uh so the monkey sphere part there's there's people that that were very into the evolution of the brain and studying all, mm -hmm. the, all this and where where decisions are happening right which is very very close to philosophy obviously right sure um uh the thing that they were studying was they were finding in different species of 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 uh you have monkeys basically it's a simian 
animals, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, they sort of found that there's there's this nice little chunk that handles interconnectedness that sits right under those two bifurcated lobes hmm. at the top, right? Hmm. And it handles the go between between those two lobes. Okay. Human beings who test highly, highly intelligent have a very strong and very healthy uh, level of interconnectedness between two lobes. Hmm. So if you sort of maybe look at painters who, or let's think of like Da Vinci, for example. This mm -hmm. is maybe the, the person who understood like an incredible, beautiful drawing of a hand uh, or like an incredibly artistic and beautiful drawing of a very massively complex flying contraption yeah. with like mathematical equations. Like mm -hmm. for him, when he was drawing that wing, he was also drawing the decisions he was making on a subconscious level were informed about his mathematical ideas on the left brain, uh, where you know, where like hmm. he was. So then, doing yeah, yeah, you like the... with his right brain. Mm. So monkey sphere. Long story short. Long story long. Now, <laughs> monkey sphere. Uh, you can there's that that they can sort of very accurately measure by this by that size of that interconnectedness lobe mm -hmm. uh -huh. how many friends that monkey had basically wow so they would take wow. a look and and they did this kind of blind test where they had these brain scientists studying mammalian brains sure and these monkey people right uh -huh. okay studying monkeys they would say uh they would take they would take deceased you know uh bonobos and whatnot mm -hmm. and then take the brain do an autopsy take the brain and send it to the brain scientists uh -huh. and they would say hey brain scientists <laughs> take what, a guess. what kind yeah. of monkey is this and then how many how how big was its like social network sphere. social yeah. network how how, or it's, its, it's monkey sphere yeah right. so maybe maybe higher order functioning like um chimps and bonobos for example they they always 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 they i think they want to it's in the 70 to 100 area mm -hmm. that's how big their uh, that's how big their group will oh, ever be this their is the, village this is the, the dunbar number yeah yeah human beings get to about 150 yeah yep and in and in certain groups of people who are very good at being groups so the military mm -hmm. some businesses for example they organize a lot of what they do. Like a platoon is never more than 150 people. Right. Because 160 people go sour. Huh. Something happens where huh. you know, it's, it's too many. 160 people is, is enough people for you to go, I don't know that guy, and he's in my group, and I don't like that. Uh. And that makes the group very bad. You know? yeah. <laughs> so when it's 150 people, wow. you can know everybody in a group. To be honest, there's you know in the in my musical background, you could sort of look at symphony orchestras in yeah. the same way. Yeah, about hundred uh, people. Whereas if there's about hundred people, there's never more than that. You know, like it's like yeah. when, and the shows where there's a lot of people, there's only a handful of pieces that exists for more than 150 people on stage at once. Hmm. Because like it's that. very hard to make music with more than 150 people. Boy, there's there's so much I could go off from that. But yeah. um, so a few thoughts there. Mm -hmm. Social network graphing is, is something that I've kind of gotten into as a hobby recently. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll provide a link in the show notes to some work I did with my own Facebook social graph. Steven Time. But, uh, yeah, on Steven Time, <laughs> my blog. Uh, and, but, but in a real sense, like that, that's been on our minds almost from the beginning of this, this uh, mm -hmm. network modeling. Like Very early on, social graphs were one of the first things that people drew up. Mm. And in like the 1920s, it was incredibly novel to see these sorts of things. Um, they, they were widely publicized. I'm kind of looking through and trying to find them in the book here. But, um, yeah, those sorts of... Here we go. So, Jacob Moreno, in, uh, they were called sociograms in 1933. One of the first ones he did was the relationships between uh, students in a classroom and how you could start to see the friend relationships and these, mm -hmm. these people that were kind of the, the what call, Kevin called a hub Mm -hmm. nodes, mm -hmm. nodes that had a high number of connections, people with mm -hmm. a lot of friends. And you could start to see people on the periphery, you know, folks who didn't have that many friends, and how it, it started to model these ways that we did start to like, sub-segment our sociological interactions that were not hierarchical. Mm. Like, all this, it wasn't as if that, that person with a high number of friends was in any sort of position of power, really. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it, it was the complete opposite, but that yeah. was a more organic, a more emergent organization to that structure. Mm -hmm. And um, gosh, just, just I'm trying to figure out what all I want to touch on here, but like the brain itself is a very, very complex network. We're starting to treat it that way yeah. more and more. It's called a connectome, a very, mm. very hmm. highly interconnected, but not infinitely interconnected structure. Not infinitely, yeah, not exactly. infinitely interconnected. And the, the ways, the, the patterns of structure 
are extremely subtle in different portions of the brain, and that's how you kind of get the um, the ways that that you get those those parts of the brain that light up in certain ways for certain actions yeah. and, and consistencies and such. But we're still at a very very high level understanding of that. We're we're not yeah. we haven't really gotten down to the understanding the details, and uh, I think Dunbar's number comes from that and and the emergence of that particular type of intelligence in our own bodies. Yeah. Um, but the interesting question, and this, this is one I want to pose to y'all, there's been a lot of talk recently about Skynet-like <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. things <laughs> coming out of the internet. That in, in the way that we have nodes, servers in this case, or individual computers, mm-hmm. are interconnected, not infinitely, but, but interconnected to many, many, many millions billions really of other nodes in the world. We have all these mobile devices, we have all these computers, we have all these servers, we have all these things that are exchanging information mm-hmm. and performing actions on an, in a distributed way. It, the brain is very similar in the, in the way that neurons mm-hmm. are interconnected mm-hmm. and sort of the emergent properties that come out of that. You couldn't anticipate looking at any particular neuron or any particular computer mm. what emergent properties would arise from that. But things like the stock market yeah. thing that happened where it just, <laughs> all of a sudden these algorithms, and um, we'll link to a, uh, a radio lab that talks about this in a little bit more detail, but mm. um, you know, in, a, in an instant, these trading algorithms that were trading at you know, millions of times a second they caused problems. Caused like a trillion dollars to just disappear. Yeah. Oh, you know? <laughs> just, yeah. just. I don't, I don't think it was a trillion dollars. It was, it was several it was, billion. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. money. Yeah. Just disappeared. Yeah. Like, and nobody still understands precisely why it happened because there was an emergent property of all these different algorithms yeah. networked together, interacting in a certain way that something there's, they There's dis- a better example <laughs> of this that I, that I think is a little bit easier to understand. Sure. Um, w- but would you call that a decision? Like, I would not. I would call it an accident. But why not? Well, and here's, here's why. Um, there, there was a book that was being sold on Amazon. And I don't remember what the book was. It was about like flies or something like that. Uh-huh. And somebody found it and the price was like a few million dollars. Or like, oh. like a hundred, few hundred thousand. It was an incredibly high price for this book. And there were two copies for sale. <laughs> and they both had these incredibly high prices. Um, they weren't quite the same, but they were similar. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if I can find it on, I, I think it was on Boing Boing. Um, and it was a result of an algorithm that had... It was the result of two different algorithms. Huh. Um, and that arrived at the same conclusion? Well, No, that were feeding off of each other, that hit into this ah, feedback loop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and what happened was... The supply and demand. No, it was it was probably and and we don't know for sure because we we can't talk to the, we didn't right. talk to the sellers. Yeah. But what it probably was was two competing bookstores who had head up algorithms. Yeah. Who didn't actually have this book in stock. Ah. Uh. And so what they would do is and and this is this is a, a practice that exists is they'll price something. At slightly higher than whatever the current price is, mm-hmm. uh-huh. for for you know, so the, see, here's all these other prices. We'll price one at this price. Yeah. If somebody, so making it more likely that somebody's going to buy the lower price book. Yes. But if somebody does buy it from them, they can buy it somewhere else at a slightly cheaper price and resell it and still make a profit. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So they'll buy it from the other one. Okay. And so okay, these yeah, two yeah. algorithms. Oh man. Got yeah. into a fight. Yes. Yes. Where one would raise it slightly above the other one, you know, pennies at a time. Yeah. yeah. Over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Because they 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 were set up to you know be slightly more expensive than the than the next price. Yeah. yeah. And there were just the two prices on it. Um, well, I found it. Amazon's many bots feud over book prices. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, and, and I think to, to go a little bit higher level, like I think that mm-hmm. that that and the stock market thing are examples of consequences of algorithms having emergent properties like yeah. when as you start to interconnect these things they start to interact with other stuff that mm-hmm. create these scenarios that may not have been obvious from just looking at the way that the algorithm was was constructed but all yeah. these other environmental factors all these other algorithms all these other changing circumstances start to affect the uh, the system itself and you get these emergent properties from a right. bunch of algorithms now that's just two algorithms working together Think of millions or billions of algorithms working with each other across the internet. That's happening. And 
there, there, is, there are theories about this. Um, and I, I just want to put, put the question to you, Matt. Um, do you think that the internet is or will become a kind of intelligence? Hmm. Boy, that's hard to speculate about. I mean, that would depend on whether it, it seems to me it would depend on whether it can evolve some kind of awareness. You know, once you get an awareness, mm. you can actually start getting uh, self-critique and self-customizing and building towards something. But if it's what would if awareness it never has a, like? a central node, as it were, I don't see how it could could well, really but, but evolve in that direction. Don't really it, yeah. have like a central node either. I mean, we kind of have, We're like you said, we have different. Parts. We are a collection of brain parts that are kind of working together. And the the Identity is kind of an illusion. It's it's a well, construction. Well, but that we can people. identify the fact that there is only one person within us that is aware of what is happening, right? But there are edge cases. See, the thing is, I would say no. No. <laughs> I would say identity is not, just like everything else, solid. Right. Who I am. Well, I'm at not the talking about identity table. though. I'm talking, talking about the simple, the, the very minimal aspect of being aware that something is happening. Um, I suppose theoretically possible that there's another awareness within me that I'm not aware of, but I'm not aware of that awareness having any effect on my mind. It's yeah. not that you're not aware of the differences, is that it's the most recent one is always the one on top. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And so, it, and it's the sense, and in, 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 I use the identity example in that I'm not the same person sitting at this table that I am working in a retail store. Right. I'm not the same person sitting in a movie theater that I'm at this table that I'm at those other two right. things. Yeah. That awareness... And I disagree with that. I'm referring... I'm, I'm, trying, I'm talking more... Uh, oh, Descartes style. Yeah. I'm talking yeah, about... Like, I, I know, what is the, well, the smallest part of my mind I can conceive of? But I don't know if there's just one of them. No, no, no. The, no. And, the and thing I, I can doubt is my awareness. But, but the I itself... And this is, oh, this is very Buddhist... We're getting into Buddhism now. Yes, but the, I mean, what it is, it's, it's related to Buddhism. It's, it's anatta, the, this idea of not-self. There's nothing in you that you can point to that is you, right? Like, you can't even, with this very complex um, understanding that we're starting to have of the brain, you cannot point to a part of the brain that is I, right. you, like your identity, yeah, right? You. So, so right. let me... Let me rephrase what I'm trying to say because I think we're getting hung up on identity here. Yeah. All I'm talking about is a a characteristic that we call self-awareness. But there has it's, to be it's a self. So it's, it's not yeah. identity, it's not you. But there has to be it's a just self an to be aspect aware. of the brain. Well, yeah. I, I think it's, that makes sense? And maybe a better way to construct it is, is to just leave I or identity or selfness out of it completely but say thinking, right? right? If yeah. you if you take the human body as a machine, which a lot of people have a have a big problem making that leap, mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me. But I'm super. I'm just for the record. I'm like Alan Turing, functional <laughs> machine functionalist. Like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I I like love are, functionalism. Yeah. You are only a computer, basically. Emergentists and emergentists do this, and and I mean, a computer is a type of complex system, but the brain is a very different kind of, of complex system. For now, very, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll jump on. Something. Anyways, you but. So take the human body as an emergent, complex system. Hmm. At some point, thinking happens. A sufficient amount of thinking happens that the system, the, um, the matter around that system, moves in a particular way hmm. and starts to affect itself and or, or it, it, that localized matter and the matter around it in particular ways. And, and if you look at it, I mean, the animal world gives us a great spectrum, and, and we, I think we're biased toward human being, human intelligence in particular, simply because we don't have all the, the degrees of humans that once existed, like the Denisophens and the, and the, um, the Neanderthals and all these that were human-like yeah. and had even like culture, possibly language, but were not human, yeah. you know, and, uh, and they're all dead um, or integrated into our... Yeah. Into yeah, Homo yeah, sapiens, yeah. that there's nothing for us to compare to, but but intelligence is a spectrum. That there's no like tipping point at which, like you say, you know, the consciousness or self awareness or something like that. That I think the internet is starting to exhibit lifelike things in that it protects itself, right? From you know somehow mm -hmm. the system persists. Oh, you're it talking is, more about like organizationally, like in an organization of people. 
kind uh, of can act in in a sense as so it's kind of like the intelligence or the 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 uh, uh, the mind of the internet is kind of piggybacking on operators. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? In a way, or not even piggybacking, but it is an emergent property of yeah. interconnected of all operators. Those yeah. I would maybe, if, if, if I could maybe draw a parallel thing, the way I sort of have been looking at this, because I've been studying, because uh, I work in education, obviously, yeah. I've been putting some effort into uh, testing, mm -hmm. obviously, unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> oh, boy. You have no choice. Yeah, having to study uh, why, what, having, I, I don't have to do, do the testing, but I have to study what other people are looking at yeah. when they look at these well, tests. You, you can't not be involved in testing. That's right. Education. And so there's this very, very, very interesting thing that's, that happens over a long period of time. Our parents, for example, um, thought much more linearly than we do. Mm -hmm. And I say we, I'll say, let's say, postgraduate, you know, 24 to 32 right. age, right? Uh, we tend to think in, uh, again, much more interconnectedly, so much more graphically. Yeah. Like our parents could, you know, when they look at like the iTunes store and it's like album covers, yeah. they go like, they read the words underneath the album covers from yeah. left to right and then down, down a row every time, right? And we look at a whole thing of, and go like, Blah, 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 and we pick out from a cloud of data, we pick out interesting colors and things we'd be interested in, mm -hmm. you know, but like much more quickly than they could. Kids nowadays are thinking, are, are, and this is showing up in test scores, they're having a lot harder time memorizing hard data facts. So, yeah. uh, oh, this is a very right. stupid example, but you know, when was the War of 1812, right? <laughs> now. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs. Right. They would have a hard time remembering. Or, or when was uh, the Magna Carta? When was that signed? Yeah. You know, a student has a much harder time remembering that now yes. than yes. they used to. And, it, and a lot of people are saying, and it's just starting to show up in test scores. For The good evidence for it is just showing up. Yeah. So this is probably a trend we'll see a lot, probably going to explode soon. But what we're seeing is that students are, their their brains are growing differently than our generations and our mm. parents' generations did because they are a probably and I'm this is this is going to be a little bit like Ray Kurzweil like really <laughs> singularity stuff yeah but they're growing up in a world where their intelligence is a hybrid intelligence yeah with the collective mm -hmm. yeah. yeah right so they're going I don't need to know when the Magna Carta was I need to know if that guy in the alley is going to stab me or like I need to <laughs> no, I need to be able to like create here's, here's, something here's, interesting. here's an idea that that this this individualism that we've kind of grown up is very Western thing very Western and yeah. the, and this. That that perhaps the idea of, of collective knowledge and cultural knowledge oh, and, yeah. and um, you know collective organization is a much more natural thing for the human race to do mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. individualized compartmentalized intelligence. Actually, are you ready for this? Can I yeah? throw something in really quick? Sure. Because we we were talking about mm -hmm. I have this okay. super deep interest in in pre-Columbian history because I've been reading. Oh, Thomas brought it back C around. We do, we're gonna do it. We're gonna <laughs> do it. We're Thomas, brought it back around. Thomas C. Mann's uh, 1491 has been my my jam lately. I've been getting okay. through that. And uh, a lot of these sort of Mesoamerican cultures, namely the Inca, uh -huh. uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, had what. Um, modern Westerners, when we are studying these people, some of maybe people who are trying to understand the Inca who are not studying them, so, so uh -huh. academics who are from other fields, take a look and go like, oh, they were communists. This, this, <laughs> this looks like Stalinist Russia, right? Huh. Where they had a, a god king, and then every single person below that was like, um, you know, this was a very famous Apple commercial from 1984. Yes. The Inca were like the people not throwing the sledgehammer in there. <laughs> wow. Did that really premiere in 1984? It did. Yes. Yeah, Super Bowl right. 1984. Isn't yeah. that sweet? Yeah. 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 So, so the, the Inca were this culture of like, a, they, were, they were a collective. Uh -huh. They existed underneath the God King as one unit. Wow. When they went to war, the women, the children, everybody packed. They would build this beautiful golden city. And then they would like have they would collect grain for like fifty years, and they'd make blankets to last a hundred more years, and they would wow. really overdo it in one place as a collective. Mm -hmm. And then they would just like say, "Okay, we've got to do that the next mountain over," mm. and they would go like, and just go, and they would all leave, and they would all go to the next spot. And that's one of the one of the things that kind of attributed to their downfall was that the spread of disease uh, oh, that they yeah. had absolutely no defense against. Higher connectedness. Was higher level of connectedness. Yeah. So, so it was, it was you know, 98% of them, or 94% of them, I think, passed away. An you know, within 
within a 100 year span mm -hmm. because they just they were a hive they were a collective people that individualism was right. not a thing at all right they couldn't possibly did you want to weigh on in on that matt sure yeah so what you brought up, you know, watching out for the guy in the alley and the individualism of our culture. And it's interesting because it sounds like uh, what we're getting a, a, I know, false dichotomy, but a dichotomy from is uh, the, this idea of when you are so focused on you only, you know, trying to survive, trying to get the information you need for survival, uh, it almost sounds like that we're saying – Ah, shoot, I don't know where I'm going with this now. <laughs> well, Contra just co simply contrasting that with a more so a stronger social system. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think I, we're, we're maybe the pendulum, if there is one, of history, <laughs> right, is starting to <laughs> right. swing back toward that distributed collective intelligence. Because yeah. I guarantee you the, these kids, as, to go back to your education, yeah. analogy, are able to find information in people and yeah. knowledge and culture very, very easily because of how interconnected and, and, and distributed their intelligence is. Yeah. And how, I mean, I feel it too. It's, it's almost like a spider with the eight legs type of a thing. Yeah. Is the more, the more things that I could, like, the more connections I can make, the more things I can tie myself into. Yeah. It's like the greater awareness I have. It's almost this, mm -hmm. this, um, th this, not omniscience really, but, but expanded, yeah. expanded uh, sensory capability, right, mm -hmm. and, and expanded memory capability. All of a sudden, my own personal memory of what has happened to me becomes just one part of my memory. Mm -hmm. I also have Wikipedia. I also have yeah. Google. I also have these these other resources, almost all of human resources that I can pull from, many, 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 not all. Yeah. We're not even close to all. But starting to interconnect the world in that way. And it's almost as if, and, and I just want to kind of bring it around to something because we got to end this somewhere, but it's almost as if human beings, mm. like it's almost as if the, the, the brain, the, the level of uh, like emergent intelligence is shifting up an order or mm -hmm. three of magnitude mm -hmm. from, you know, it, it used to be interconnected cells and then neurons and then intelligence yes. manifests itself on the level of the human yes. being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe a kind of intelligence is about to manifest itself on the level of the world. Yeah. In the way that we're we're mm. neurons and we are individual intelligences in a way. <laughs> yeah. But we're also part of this emergent intelligence that is, you know, a billion times as complex. Right. Yeah. And 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 it may be time for us to start to ask again, well, what really does intelligence Look yeah. like, well, and yeah, maybe it can look like something very, very different than what just sort of, we see on the. Just sort of lead towards that and tie together yeah. with, the, with the idea of that you know I I don't need to know when the Magna Carta was signed, right? Because I can look that up. That the facts are something that can be found. Retrieval. Because of my hybrid intelligence, yes. I do know. Well, it's that's just that's, a that's just it. It's a little bit slower. That's just it. At this is point. is uh, you know you say hybrid intelligence, I say we're all cyborgs. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's the way I look we're at there. it. And I say we all, meaning a very privileged select few who have access to this information. Yeah. But still. That's the idea that that we walk around with a second brain in our pockets. Yes, right. That we use as part of our brain. Like I yeah. just sent, you know, Google helped me remember a thing right yeah. now in the in the link I just sent you. Or Google remembered for you. Well, wholesale. Google didn't remember it because I had to. I had. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it's sort of like we all but, remembered um, for each other. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean. But yeah. because right. I, I know honestly, I know yeah. this this word's there. This word's there. Here's the the you know the site that I know I found it on. Tell me where it is, Google. Yeah. And then Google does it, and I just I sent you the link on Twitter. It's like this is the whole thing, and so it's it's. And I would and I mean I'm reading it. It's more or less what I described, but yeah. the fact that it's, I have it you know more concrete, and the concrete's not the right word because I've I've been writing, a lot recently <laughs> on the fact that all of this data, all of this digital stuff, isn't concrete. But that's another show entirely. Yes, right. Well, but but is it any more? Is it any less concrete? Any I guess less. than the the you so, know what's written on the, or conveyed on a book it's and then exists in concrete. the. It's it is. And, it's and, so, and that's what I've been writing about is is dealing yeah. with those differences, and but it's it's very easy to say oh this one's better, mm. and I I argue with that. I I, I, I this came out because I've been writing a lot of stuff longhand, um, which I like to write oh. longhand, but writing longhand has a very different. Thing. It's, it exists in one place. It is published in one place. But yeah. it's published immediately. It's immediately a physical thing. Well, it's physically localized. And, yes. and, and in this way, it's, it's that idea of 
physical localization giving way to distributed localization mm -hmm. and virtual, not even virtual localization, but distributed. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a different, and it's another. Yeah. Again, it's a whole other show. But, well, and, um, and here's the deal. And in, in terms of just biological strength, nets are always mm. more, are always stronger than individual particles or mm. nodes. Like <laughs> a, a um, you know, a school of fish is much stronger and yeah. able to fend off, you know, a shark versus a single, a single fish, right? A, a military network. You know, if you yeah. if you interconnect the communication centers, and this was this was these were papers written in like the 1950s and 60s. They showed that a distributed model of a communications network, which had not really been thought of before, was stronger than having a central like radio tower that everybody else had to go through. Yeah. And that idea of distributed uh, networks and distributed intelligence is able to much better absorb and address threats from the outside. So it's weird, you know, multiple times the network has been, I say the network, the internet has been threatened by things yeah. that may cause it not to exist or fundamentally change what it is, yeah. and it has resisted those because of the interconnectedness. Yeah. I would say, but it's only kind of resisted them. Because I think I think that's true on a maybe a grander scale, like yeah. against, you know, SOPA and CISPA and yeah, FIFA yeah. 2007 and <laughs> things like that. But I also think, or even like Syria, you know, where it was like, sh uh, yeah, like, the internet was shut down. Cable, yeah, I think that people, exists because people—it's a hybrid intelligence. But they so still found a way to get online. But I also look yeah. At, yeah. at this, you know, you know, I, I say, well, what's what's being resisted here? Because as we were talking about <laughs> earlier, and Facebook has all of your information. They do. They they know all about the social network, and of it's not just a you. Part it's of the world, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Yep. You know, 500 million people and counting. Yeah. And that was back when that movie came out. It's more That's now. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a billion. And, people, yeah. and some people are questioning that. And people are saying, is this right? Is this what we should be doing? Should we be fighting this? But it isn't being fought. It isn't being changed. We're yeah. not seeing people leave Facebook in droves. Yeah. And you're not going to. Because... What Facebook has done, and, and uh, man, we're rabbit trailing so much on this, but Facebook has <laughs> has has gone beyond the Dunbar number. Mm -hmm. it, it has figured out a way for us to collect people in the same way that we've collected knowledge. And I've, I've ranted about this before on the show, but I, you know, looking at my social graph that I that I did, I realized that a good percentage of that are people that I never, that I haven't talked to in over a year. Yeah. You know, if you were to really look right, at my yeah. close circle of people. Right now, it would be a dozen or you know a couple dozen, yeah. really, wow. like close yeah. people, mm -hmm. and that that it's. Much, I mean, I have second order connections to many yeah. others, but not first order. And it, at some point, that you know, people cross that line. It's a modularity line. That's it's how they kind of structure it. And I, I, yeah, I mean, so we we've collected people, but we don't actively yeah. get rid of this them. This is interesting. And, yeah. and just just a thought. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just thinking about you know Dunbar numbers and stuff like that. I said, well, what's mine? You know, what what am I looking at? Yeah, I've got about two hundred and fifty people that wow. I'm friends with. Two hundred thirty six is the actual number. And then I'm again on Facebook, and I looked at Stephen's number. Yeah, and I'm seeing five hundred and ninety six. Right. You are four times Dunbar's number on here. I am. And I would argue. I don't know that you're actually past Dunbar's number just because from what you've been saying. No, I'm not. From a, right. from a physiological point of view, yeah. he's almost certainly not. Even the people that are that no. are maybe physiologically talented right. in that uh -huh. region are like at 170. But when yeah. I was when I was part of the Apple Store, which if you look at that graph is this tight ball yeah. of people, mm -hmm. highly interconnected. Mm -hmm. When I was part of that, I was pretty much at Dunbar's number. Like the Apple Store that, that Kevin yeah. and I worked at was. 150 people. Yeah, yeah. 100. There you go. It was. It's right at that number. Yeah. And it. And it. It's. What's interesting is I came in at the store when it was about 100, and it grew, and it stopped. Stopped. It stopped right yep. around 150. <laughs> and that was. Going to, yeah. That was like a stable number. But the thing is, there are there are Apple stores that have bigger numbers than that. There are. But what happens is those are usually 24-hour ones. Those mm -hmm. are the ones where you have sort of this day shift, night shift kind of yeah. thing. And and what it probably York, does is it yeah. is it sub segments. Into quite possibly, yeah, like family and, room red zone type of you know, those are separate Dunbar groups, uh -huh. right? And those you know, loosely interact, but and they use sort of that hybrid intelligence of like sort of networked data machines to like keep uh, to keep connected to like, oh, the person that was working here at 7 a.m. and the person that was working here at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. are, are separated by this group of 300 people, right? With, the, with this hybrid intelligence that we now share. 
they know that, oh, we're changing the stocking on the shelves. Is yes. We're going to move this here now. Just yeah. as on they Facebook, I can keep it's tabs on. New, it's through this new, like, extra meta avenue yeah. that's there. Yeah. That wasn't there and that's before. the interconnectedness. And yeah. I think, you know, getting to tie it way back into the beginning, I think awareness of networks is empowering. I think we need to we need to get there. You know, it's it's not maybe the the best way, mm. but it is it is a better way to understand the world around us, a better way to construct it that is less biased toward yeah. um, hierarchy, less biased toward yeah. oppression, less biased toward um, this kind of segmentation, and uh, it's it's kind of the way the world is going. So, check it out. The book is is Visual Complexity: Mapping Patterns of Information by Manuel Lima. Um, really appreciate y'all uh, sticking around for the whole show. I know it's, a, it's been a bit longer one, and we could just talk about well, this for I do have to go to work many one, hours. So I've okay. Got, I've got, you have to start wrapping it up. <laughs> yep, we're wrapping it up now. So, cool, cool. Um, Matt, thank you again for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Sure, and if, if you've got more links to, to share, please send those along. We'll include those in the show notes. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs, if anywhere? Uh, I guess Facebook, Matthew Epperson. I don't have any fancy name. Just search for me. Okay. <laughs> and people can find a collect you. Yeah, find a redhead with a toddler. That's probably me. Okay. <laughs> How old is your toddler? He well, I don't know why I said toddler. I'm I'm, I'm stuck in the past. Oh. He's he's almost four. Oh wow. wow yeah, cool. a little bit beyond toddler. Still still yeah. in that in that nice range where he's curious about everything and right. <laughs> uh, yeah we were lamenting that earlier anyways he's, he's pretty fantastic he's doing the eight-year-old uh, um level lego instructions oh. uh, cool. uh, by himself nice. at what point do you get him into minecraft <laughs> never never yes soon he's i had a tremendous amount of interest in video games yet he's a very physical boy cool keep him there for as long as possible Right? Maybe. Yeah. Do what you want. It's your, your kid, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Um, John, where can people find you on the interwebs? Facebook is always good. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at, uh, at HeyJohnElliot, uh, J-O-H-N-E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Mm -hmm. Feel free to drop me a line on Facebook. Uh, is it okay if I plug my organization? Yeah, go for it. The websites yeah. that I work on the most are AustinSoundWaves.org and HispanicAllianceAustin.org. All right. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, where can people locate you on the interwebs? Twitter.com slash KevSound. That's plenty, I'm sure. All righty. And you can find me, of course, on my new blog. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, but you can also go to stephent.me, or if it helps you remember it, Stephen Time. time. Stephen 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 yeah. All right. Well, we thank you all for listening. You can find us at uh, facebook.com slash badphilosophy, twitter.com slash badphilosophy, and just Google badphilosophy. You'll find us. Um, we hope you have fun interconnecting with the world around you, and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. They sent them up in rockets to conquer the stratosphere. Little dogs and monkeys that would show no fear. Yeah. yeah. Although Amy actually has done this before. She'll ask, she, she does it a couple times, she'll ask her students, how many of you have seen Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And she'll have classes with not a single person. Yeah, it's dwindling. What? Yeah. I know, right? How is that possible? I don't know. Yeah, it's dwindling. Because it's like not Star Wars is a anymore. great metaphor for dressed in melodrama. Yeah. Like, if you yeah, explain yeah. melodrama to somebody, you go, Star Wars. That's Luke so is the hero. Um, Leia is the, the, is yeah, the, the yeah. heroine. Yeah. Um, Han Solo is the brawny hero, which is a different subset of heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The comic relief yeah. are, you know, the droids. The villain is Darth Vader Darth with Vader. a black, twirly mustache. He doesn't uh -huh. have a mustache, but if he did, it would be black and twirly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's and it's and everything fits into that that mold really yeah. well. Um, we're talking the original Star Wars, ignore the, the prequels yeah, yeah. because those don't exist. They're dead. No, yeah, they are. That's fair for sure. Um, I still haven't gotten around to watching um, the People versus George Lucas, but it is in my yeah, instant queue. Yeah. But the prequels don't follow this, which is why they suck. Yeah. Yeah. Is and the, the prequels have a very bad structural issue. Oh, yeah. Bad. Uh, but and and but you know and, and I had to stop using that metaphor because nobody knew what I was talking about. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Like, how many have seen Star Wars? I'm like nobody. Oh man, um, that's like that's like one of those very few things that we all share. Is like 
<laughs> yeah, so he's the Darth Vader. It's like this and is a mission for your culture. Yeah, perhaps that many things that you can Star like, Trek, yeah, Star Wars isn't super nerdy. Yeah, yeah, it's not. No. It's mainstream. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> it was one of the highest grossing films of all time when it came yeah. out. Yeah. Into orbit, dressed in spacemen suits. Heroes of the space age that none does salute. Little dogs and monkeys that look so cute. Little dogs and monkeys without a parachute. In a perfect yeah. world, we'd be able to just, you know, rabbit trail onto all these things, and people would be able to look at the network of all the ideas that we discussed, <laughs> and all the different infinite yes. permutations of the universe, and and then Bioshock Infinite. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Badphilosophy.com It's just the right size.